Look, I need you to do me a favor. If you like my content, share it with the people close to you. It helps this channel tremendously in a way you just wouldn't believe. You know, sometimes God allows, you know, us, uh, for instance, someone who is doing evil, you know, to persist in that evil so that there's concrete proof of their choices. You know, I usually ask myself, if Jesus would have no possibility of sinning, then what was the use of the temptations? Why would God punish someone who has a twisted perception of reality? Andrew, welcome to the show. Thank you. So you're a biblical teacher. Yes, I am a biblical teacher. In short, you teach the Bible. I know it's redundant, but yes. Yes, I teach the Bible. And also since I'm teaching in a context of uh, teaching ministers, so we also teach uh, other courses that go along with ministry. As a biblical teacher, who is Jesus Christ? Yeah, that's a simple question, but with a difficult, uh, you know, very difficult to answer. Uh, let me just put it this way. Uh, Jesus is one who claimed to be the son of God. And uh, uh, as the record shows in in the Gospels, he claimed that he came to reveal God to humanity, but also came to save humanity. Yeah, so I think that that's how I would answer that question. Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. At his time, that was extremely blasphemous. And why would you claim to be the Son of God where we can literally have no proof of that? You know, I, I think one thing we should, uh, we should have in mind is the context in which he came. He came to a nation that already was, uh, you know, you having prophets, you know, a God who was revealing himself through prophets. There were already prophecies about a Messiah who would come. And, uh, you know, so there's a whole Old Testament, you know, context that, uh, you know, when Jesus comes to the Jewish people, they already have a history, which, you know, would perfectly make sense, you know, for, for they were expecting a Messiah. All right. So I think, uh, and um, when I see Jesus claiming himself to be uh, the son of God, especially in the New Testament, the Gospels, he often, you know, referred back to the the prophets, the law and the prophets, that, and the writings, you know, to, to make the claim uh, on matters like, oh, it was said I would be born in, in fact, if you see how Matthew writes his gospel, he's often trying to prove that Jesus is the Messiah because he fulfilled the prophets. So you'll find him quoting all the time, as it was written by prophet. Well, you know, almost 10 times he quotes verbatim the Old Testament to you know so so I, I i think the context under which jesus comes already prepared the people you know there are people who are used to prophets revealing themselves 
you know, God was already talking to them through the prophets. And so uh, one come in and, you know, trying and trying to show them, here I am, I'm fulfilling the prophecies. You know, that's already uh, a context that is working. We heard so many times that Jesus is the savior of the world. And as a kid, and I heard that, you know, I'm just imagining Superman, you know, Captain America and all these things. And when you grow up, you realize that, yeah, okay, the Bible claims that Jesus is the Savior. Every Christian I know says so. But what does that really mean? Well, uh, I think, I think uh, that is uh, something that uh, the Jewish nation also, you know, came to, to understand the Messiah in terms of uh, what they really desired. Uh, you know, under being under oppression under many other emperors and nation and kingdoms, you know, they longed for a time when Israel would be, you know, would be as it was in the time of David, you know, the golden years of David. So for them, they started understanding the Messiah as one who would restore Israel to its former glory. All right. But, uh, and that was really the conflict. You know, here yeah, was Jesus claiming to be, you know, the Messiah, but he, he seems to have no interest in restoring Israel, you know. He seems to have no interest in earthly things. You know, he's uh, talking about my kingdom is not of this world. You know, he's more of referring to a spiritual kingdom. And so uh, religious, religious leaders who are already understanding the Messiah as a political leader, you know, that conflicted very much with, you know, a savior who would politically, you know, save them. So, uh, my reading of, of the Bible has come to convince me that, you know, Jesus was more interested in, you know, solving the, 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 the human problem of sin as, as the Bible would, would uh, refer to. So he was more of saving the world from the bondage of sin. So uh, w when you talk of savior, it's really, you know, sin. And, and uh, the Bible talks of Jesus as one who saves man from sin. That's really what humanity needs to be saved from. Uh, so for the modern man, we, we still deal with problems of evil, uh, you know, and uh, um, those who are not subscribing to to the Bible will not call it sin, but you know Christians would call that sin, evil, and all the 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 uh, the evils, the ills that we see in society. And so, um, so for the modern man, you know, when you say Jesus is the savior, then it's really to deal with the problem of human sin at least in the context of the Bible. What does sin really do in a man's life from a Christian perspective? Well, uh, you know, in uh, certain passages, sin is, uh, you know, basically described as, you know, the, uh, the breaking of God's law. But uh, a deeper look into what sin is, uh, my understanding is it's more of a relational problem. The alienation from God. 
okay and uh, so as we come to see the consequences of sin you know it's human selfishness and you know it manifests itself in many other ways and so yeah so first of all i think the basic the basic uh uh or the 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 the, the center of sin is really a relational problem with god and uh so from the relation an issue of you know trust in god an issue of submission to god man does not want to to submit to god man does not want to be you know to have naturally man doesn't want anything to do with god we don't have a tendency towards god and uh and so we want to have our own way so that's how i would describe you know sin at least in, uh, from how i understand it now all those things that you mentioned selfishness is being the product and aftermath of sin my question is can you live a happy life on earth while being a sinner because if we go with the christian ideology philosophy the fruits of sin are selfishness and people killing each other all around the world and all the things so literally in a, you know talking from a christian i mean in a christian perspective i'm just trying to imagine if you're sinful if you're a sinner you cannot literally be a nice person so can you have a happy life and yet be a sinner and yet not being a christian because if christians understand that sin cannot bring forth anything nice therefore if you're if you do not abide you know to the christian faith then automatically you are a sinner because sin can only be cleansed by jesus according to the christian doctrine therefore if you're not a christian you're a sinner now to go back to my question can one live a happy life without being a christian or while being a sinner well that that's a interesting question because many many are christians and still you know struggling with issues of sin so to say that to be a christian means you're not a sinner or to be not a christian means you're a sinner may not necessarily you know be you know f- uh, can i say fully true <laughs> so uh but uh i i don't want to make assertions you know that i i cannot prove very clearly but uh but what i can you know just say is according to christians the evil that we see in the world is a result of sin now your question was whether uh whether you can be happy and still be a sinner that's a <laughs> uh because uh, you know it it seems it seems at least you know apparently 
that uh, people who are, you know, living their life as they would want it seem to be happy, you know. Um, but, you know, I, I, I need to emphasize the seem, you know, because some of them later on you discover are struggling with other issues. But I'm not saying this is only happening to those who are not Christians. We also have Christians who, you know, are struggling with the issues themselves. And so necessarily one professing to be a Christian does not necessarily necessarily mean they have actually, you know, overcome sin. Andrew, I don't think you answered my question. <laughs> Maybe I think I, I think I need to understand your question. Then. I think my my <laughs> what I, I'm expecting is yes, yes, you can or no, you can't. Well, well, you, uh, perhaps you've already noticed that uh, some issues don't have a you know a white and black a white and black answer. You know, <laughs> I believe uh, not everything is straightforward. Uh, that's so what, that's what I'm trying to say. Let's, for let's, instance, for instance, your 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 demarcation of if you are not a Christian, you are a sinner. That's 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 not the case. That's not the case. That's not the case. That's not the case. So you can be a non-Christian and not being a sinner. Well, um, you know, let me put it how Paul would argue. Uh, Paul would argue in... Uh, Paul the writer in, yeah, in the Paul, New Testament. Paul, yeah, Paul the writer in the New Testament. You know, where he, he argues that, you know, those who know the law will be judged based on the law. And then those who do not know the law will be judged based on their not knowing the law. And uh, he, he actually goes ahead and mentions, I'm, I'm, I think I'm now in chapter 2 of Romans. Uh where he argues that there are those who, not knowing the law, just followed the, their conscience. And, you know, their conscience told them this is right, you know, and they followed it. So their own conscience became a law to them. So, so that's why I'm saying it's not a, always a black and white matter. So your question of whether you can be a non-Christian and still be sinless, uh, I think... Uh, <laughs> theoretically, that is possible, you know, at least from how Paul Paul argues. You say that um, it's a very bold statement. You say that their conscience became the law. In other words, the conscience became an establishment or a doctrine by which they almost do everything, right? Now, I find it very controversial because why would God punish someone who has a twisted perception of reality, who believes that wrong is right and right is wrong, since that is their very, very core belief? Well, well uh, maybe I think your question is assuming that the conscience uh, you know, works alone. So for, for a Christian, God reaches us and our minds, you know, through the conscious. And, and uh, that is a work that Christians say is the work of the Holy Spirit. So, so the, 
a, a person now is judged based on how they respond, you know, to God's reaching out to them through their conscience. And uh, this does not have necessarily to be only through the word of God. All right. You know, Paul argues in Romans 1 that, you know, you don't have an excuse for not believing in God. Nature is there to, to speak to you. So, uh, so that's, that's, uh, that's why still God can judge because the conscience is not uh, working independently. All right. There's God who is trying to reach out to us through the, through the conscience. Don't you think that our conscience depend on how we also see the world? Don't you think that the Holy Spirit sometimes is given certain jobs that he initially doesn't do? Well, maybe that's uh, according to how as uh, human beings we may perceive it. But I think biblically, biblically, uh, you know, his, his, his duties are very clear. Okay. In other words, um, you know, in as much I'm, I'm, I'm referring to the Holy Spirit and, you know, the conscious, that does not excuse, you know, us making the effort or us, us seeking out truth. All right. And doesn't excuse us if we come to know the truth. That means we can ignore it because we'll just follow the spirit. That's not really the case. Let me, let me, let me explain to you how I understand it. I read somewhere that it's, it's, a, it's a study that was done. Most people adhere to the religion that they're in today because of their backgrounds. So mostly your family or literally your surrounding or, or where you just grew up. Someone's surrounding helps them develop or have an understanding of what the world is, what reality is. So they start having a concrete perception of things. If you're born in a family where people initially or just reject Christianity and they tell you that you should not be a Christian. You should only be, I'm not talking about Muslim, but you should just be Muslim. That's your whole perception of the word. I have to be a Muslim and I have to do what Islam teaches. Now, how could someone like that, who has no understanding of the Christian teaching, be inspired by the Holy Spirit? Well, um, I would, I would uh, say that I do not think that um, God limits his revelation to only Christians. So I think God reaches out to all. And uh, yeah, based on how they react to God's revelation, you know, God judges them on that basis. So I do not think um, it's limited. In other words, God's reach, and in this case, through His Spirit, is limited to only you know those who have uh, who have uh, who have accepted. Uh, in fact, someone made a very interesting illustration. I'm still you know I'm 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 not made my mind up how to 
reacted but uh, I, I i like i like how someone made the thought, the illustration in revelation where jesus says behold i'm knocking at the door and whoever opens the uh, he opens the door i'll come in and dine so one person argued that you know the spirit is knocking at every person's door now those who accept have the privilege of the spirit dwelling within them but the spirit knocks at every person's door so and i thought that's that's a very interesting you know way to think of it, about it yeah so i you know within the the context that you have grown up i think still god in his own way uh, because how would god judge how would god judge humanity if i had an excuse that god you didn't reveal yourself to me or you didn't you know on what basis would god judge us in other words well, no one will have an excuse at least how, how i understand it no one can have an excuse that god i didn't know how i why why are you judging me you know and and i think and i think uh quite controversial thought but i think you know sometimes god allows you know us uh, for instance someone who is doing evil you know to persist in that evil so that there's concrete proof of their choices all right despite maybe the many voices that were telling him to stop doing what they're doing so the the point is doesn't matter which context i still believe god in his own way is reaching out to every person jesus as i, I said earlier made some bold and outrageous statement to the people of his generation many people say that he was both a god and a man what's your take on that uh when you read the new testament because that's where you'll find this it's not something you easily find in the old testament you find texts that you know portray him as god and you also find texts that portray him as a human being and so jesus himself many times referred to himself as son of man but also you find him you know referring to himself as son of god uh we have passages uh, in the new testament that say only god you know deserves worship then in the new testament people come and worship him and he accepts the worship and so such uh so the the bible presents both so i think correctly that uh, as you've mentioned the claim that he was both god and man is actually something that we can see in the the new testament yeah except that when we talk about him we focus more on when we talk about jesus we focus more on, on his godly side if he was both man and god we've seen clearly what according to the bible the godly and impossible things jesus has done he's resurrected the dead he's walked on water he's multiplied bread and things but how can you be god and a man at the same time but yet the bible barely mentions the wrong things that jesus did actually never mentions that so if he was a man how comes jesus never did wrong 
that, that's uh, that's basically the point of Jesus becoming a man. You, you know, your question, uh, I think, implies that to be man, you have to sin. That is the nature of man. Yeah. So, uh, uh, really, the, the, you know, these sometimes are very difficult concepts to, to demarcate. He, he took the human weaknesses but in his human weaknesses didn't sin. You know, that, that's really the point. I have someone who told me, a friend of mine told me, sometimes when he thinks about Christianity, he says that Mohammed sounds more human, relatable, human, uh, human than, than, Jesus. than Jesus. And it's easy for him to relate to Mohammed. It's not the case with Jesus. I ain't gonna, I'm not gonna walk on top of water, right? Do you think, according to you, the Bible, left that part out well i i i I don't think that's the case i think uh uh, to understand why why jesus had to be perfect at least how the bible portrays him because you know even asked them have you found any sin in me you know he asked the pharisees when they were trying to to find ways of uh, you know uh, killing him he told them what sin have you found in me you know, it's very hard for someone to make such a claim. But, but it's to understand why did Jesus become human, you know. I think if you understand that, then you'll see why it was important that he lives a sinless life. Why did he become human? Now I'll take you to where uh, my favorite part of the Bible, <laughs> the Pauline epistles. You know, in Romans chapter 5, uh, Paul, Paul talks about... Uh, uh, what we, what we refer to as first uh, first Adam and second Adam. Okay, so so and and you know it goes back to the question of why what what does it mean that Jesus is the savior? And my answer was the main, you know, what Jesus is saving us from is sin. Okay, uh, in Romans chapter five, Paul argues and and, and you know says that uh, because of Adam's sin, the old human generation, you know, were brought into sin and death. Okay? Now, Jesus is the second Adam in, in, the, in the understanding of, you know, one man's sin is counted on all humanity. Okay? Now, Jesus also, as the second Adam, his righteousness is counted on all of us. His death is counted on all of us. His resurrection is counted on all of us. So that's why it is important that uh, Jesus had to be righteous. He had to become one of us and in the, in the simil- similitude of Adam's uh, sin, he had to, you know, his life is counted in the similitude of Adam's position. We are saved objectively. We have no part in it, right? But of course, there's a subjective part where now that salvation has to apply to us. And that, that subjective part, you know, brings us to the issue of his death, his resurrection. But the point is, um, Jesus came to save us from sin. 
Now, I was, you being a sinner, you had no part. Okay? You, Adam's sin counted on all the human race. Our sinning is a result of, you know, you know, the, some theologians differentiate that Jesus came to save us from sin, not sins. In other words, our, our sins, our actions are a result of sin itself. And so Jesus came to save, save us from the sin so that we can no longer engage sin. in sins. All right? Which is? The actions of, of sin. Your statement, Jesus saved us from sin so that we can no longer get into the action of sin. Which is really, again, controversial because <laughs> <laughs> I know so many people who are saved. They claim to have been saved by Jesus. They still lie. True, and that's, and that's the, the, the difficult part of Christianity. So how does the saving play its role there? Now, you see the whole Jesus thing, it's, it, it, it's so much because on, on one hand, one says he saves us from sin. And on the other hand, we say that people say that, okay, I'm saved, but they still do the action and, of sin. And really, that is the struggle of Paul. In Romans, Paul argues in Romans 6, he says, in Romans 5 towards the end, he mentions that where there was sin, grace abounded even more, you know, in the context of first Adam, second Adam. Then he asks the question in Romans chapter 6, verse 1, now that we are saved by grace, no, we didn't have a part. The same way we didn't have a part in Adam's sin and it was counted on us. We didn't have a part in Christ's righteousness and his death. Remember as uh, uh, Romans 3, I think 23 says, wages of sin is death. In other words, we are, we are condemned to death, all right? But think about that similitude of Jesus to Adam. Jesus died, meaning the same way Jesus died, his death is counted on all of us. So Paul argues, and, and that brings us now to Romans 6.1. Now that we are saved by grace, does it mean we can continue in sin? Because the more we sin, the more grace. You know, Paul argues, no, not at all. And now he brings a very interesting concept. And now that's, that brings us to, you know, uh, how does Jesus save us? Paul argues this. Don't you know that when you were baptized, you were baptized into, into Christ's death? Now you remember the similitude? Adam's sin counted on all human race. Christ's death is counted on all. So when we are baptized, we are actually saying, I died with Christ. Meaning the sinful me died with Christ on the cross. Okay? And uh, when Christ resurrected, I resurrected with him in newness of life. So Paul argues, now that you died with Christ on the cross, and resurrected with him. The old you died. Why are you still sinning? Are, are you getting the, the argument? In fact, Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 7, Romans chapter 8, Paul is struggling with this issue of, uh, now that Christ died for us, does it mean, does it mean just only forgiveness? No, it, it should mean something more. All right? It should, it should mean that uh, I am dead to sin, and 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 what is what is the answer to that? The Does answer it mean to, that we stop sinning? Definitely, that's what Paul is implying. But people still sin. People still sin. 
That's that's the point. So in, in, there's a struggle, and some theologians have come to describe Paul's uh, theology in terms of what we call the already but not yet. You're already saved, but not yet saved. <laughs> it becomes it becomes a you know a pull and push. Where are you in in this uh, in this? Uh, and uh, I think one of the verses that describes Paul's attitude towards how he understood Jesus and his salvation is is, is in Philippians, uh, where Paul says, "I do not consider myself to have attained." Okay. But he said, what I do is to forget the past and I press on towards what Christ has already obtained for me. And that brings us to mind, for him, Christ already obtained our salvation. He died, we died with him. And so it is expected that our, we, are, we are dead to sin. So Paul's mindset was, mine is to work towards what Christ has already attained for me. So that that's a mindset I see in, in how Paul... Uh, and I think that's a mindset that Christians should have. You know, you are uh, you you may may not have reached you know what God's God has already attained for you, but your mind is to work towards it. So that's that's how I uh, more of a continuum, if I may put it. Jesus knew in his divine nature; he knew the future, and in his human nature he was also limited somehow right if you knew the future you knew he was going to die you knew he was going to resurrect you talked about it mm -hmm. how is it fair to do something when you already know the end would you be more pushed to and do it again if you know if someone tells you right now i'm going to shoot you and immediately you're going to wake up next to jesus christ you beg me to shoot you if you really love jesus christ it's like that's a very great motivation for you. Jesus was the only human being who knew when he was going to be born and when he was going to die and when he was going to come back from death. Doesn't it make the whole Jesus dying for our sin less powerful? Um, I, I want to, you know, you know, you you've said um, this is something I have I have I've have, I've have thought about in a different way. And uh, I see it very much in uh, when we talk about the temptations of Jesus. You know, I usually ask myself if Jesus would have no possibility of sinning, then what was the use of the temptations? And uh, my conclusion has come to to the to be that there was possibility of Christ sinning. If you look at the temptations of Jesus, the temptations are basically asking Jesus or are trying to question Jesus on whether he was the son of God. All the temptations, if you are the son of God, if you are the son of God. So I see in, uh, in this, um, in this, uh, you know, passage, you know, this, this narrative in the new Testament that, uh, you know, Jesus had to depend on God's word, you know, the, what his mother, her mother taught her, and more specifically, what had just happened when he was baptized. You know, message came from heaven, confirming, this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. 
And now here he comes to a situation where an angel Satan comes and you know we are the son of God prove to me and you know if he would have you know done any of those miracles it would be a, a proof of his doubt that he was the son of God because if he was the son of God there's no need to prove to anyone but he knows he's the son of God the point is the point i'm trying to say is i think this passage implies to us that uh Jesus like all of us has to depend on you know revelation you see that's now where the controversy comes because <laughs> if you god you don't need anyone to reveal anything to you yeah. that's why i say you know it it really brings us back to the issue of divine human where 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 does it uh, because also in as much as Jesus you know Jesus knew he was going to die on what basis did he know that was it revelation or because he was god you know when he was proving to the disciples on the mouse eh, his proof was not that i am telling you this because i'm god no he took them through the scripture this is what was prophesied about the messiah and i'm the one it was prophesied that i should die so uh i i I come to believe that uh, Jesus understanding of, his, of him of himself was based on really uh, the revelation of the new testament of the old testament the, the scripture that they had and of course you know Jesus himself uh, God himself speaking out from heaven and claiming you know that this is my beloved son and so if if uh, there was a possibility of him doubting who he was then that if we take it as temptations as they were that that implies something in fact there's a point where jesus said i do not know uh i don't know the disciples were asking about what when he's coming back yeah and he said only god knows so i think uh, when he was here as a human god still was god but he kept aside his divine divinity the temptation of satan was to him 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 to use his divinity he said he was limited <laughs> as a human but we don't know what but this, are the limitations these limitations are, are by choice not by you know yes yeah, so sure, we yeah, understand okay I, i get you he was limited okay yeah. what are the limitations because at some point he heals people at some point he resurrects the dead okay And, um, any prophet can do it but at some point I, he forgives sins Therefore True. we don't know what his limitations are because sometimes he does what only God can do and sometimes he can't even do what God can do sometimes But he lets I, himself be crucified uh, I necessarily do not do not uh, disagree with you but I am just saying that uh, uh this is not something I I I can I can say I fully grasp right I'm just I'm just um, you know putting before you at least you know a glimpse of what i'm i'm seeing happening in the in the scriptures that uh uh you know so I, someone used a very interesting word that jesus decided to take a subservient role okay so that means it doesn't mean that you have put aside your 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 divinity it's only you 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 you've stopped being a divine being it's only that you've put it aside No, Andrew, the, the thing and, is, and, uh, I understand what you're saying. Everything you say, mm, I do understand. Mm-hmm. I just don't know what were the limitations. 
that that's something we need to to do more research on to grasp well <laughs> thanks for your honesty because many people try to come up with responses that don't make sense uh yeah, thanks yeah, for coming yeah. to the show andrew i yeah. hope to talk to you again soon I, i deeply appreciate this conversation thank you thank you very much yeah